Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. This is episode four, Worldviews. And here, Steve and I have a bit of a discussion about worldviews and some of the tension between different worldviews and things that arise as we explore the subject of urban mysticism today. Steve, I'm sure when you chat to people around uh, this this topic of religion, spirituality, the experience of God, the transcendent meaning, all of those kind of good things, that 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 you often have a similar experience to me, where you feel like you're bumping up against um, up against someone's worldview, or your worldview is bumping up against someone else's. The way in which you look at the world differs to the way other people look at the world, and yet we actually live in the same world. And so, so we live in the same shared reality, the same shared world, but our experiences of the world and our takeaway and how we go about living and being, you know, living and loving in the world is actually quite different to other people. And 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 so in history, we've got this, we've got this challenge that our religions emerged in a very different worldview to which we find ourselves today. And that one of the things that we we often end up bumping um, bumping into when we're trying to explore this as a subject is the difference between worldviews and how things don't translate as well from one worldview to to another, and and how to unbundle that and 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 dig through it. Yeah, very much so. I would say specifically with those, or if I have to put a terrible generalization in, of under the age of maybe forty-five. Um, maybe even 50 sometimes, but I think often even sort of 45 to below 40 is, you know, having been, having been raised within a generation with a significantly different worldview, I think, than even 50 years ago. Um, you know, when you, when you talk from a religious perspective, if we're not talking institutional, um, you know, something that's 2,000 to 3,000 to 5,000 years old, for example, it's just so incredibly removed from the modern era that uh, you know, it seems almost nonsensical to many people. And then along with that, there's all the other factors that make up worldview, that make it interesting to try and find the, the right kind of connections. But I, I find that uh, the connection that does seem to help is when this curiosity has been awakened in somebody because they've experienced something. And I think that is usually as close as you might get to a fail-safe of okay, we, we're going to connect on something here um, that that will that will form a bridge between different worldviews. Yeah, I, I think I think people today are much more aware of things like you know like generational theory. You know, certainly with the with, with all the dissing that takes place around millennials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Not not all of it necessarily fair, but you know we've heard the language of like the baby boomers, the Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z millennials that kind of stuff and so and so there is some sense of familiarity that that the the world in which we've grown up with is very different to the world in which our children are growing up in and it's very different to the world that our parents and our grandparents grew up in and yet in the modern era there's been there's been a lot of change in a very short space of time so much so that that over the last hundred years the world has changed incredibly well, 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 has changed incredibly. Whereas, if we look back in history, worldviews were a little, little bit more enduring. They were a little bit longer. You know, their shelf life was a lot longer. And so, each of them have a beginning and end. But definitely, within our world, we've got more of an appreciation of it. I think partly because our world is made up of many different different cultures, kind of overlapping and together creating a shared worldview. 
we rub shoulders with a lot of people who've got different ethnic backgrounds. So, so previous worldviews, as I understand them, were much more isolated. And so you actually had to leave your worldview to come to an appreciation. You had to travel, you, you, you know, uh, you had to travel in order to communicate. You had to travel to see the world very differently. Whereas today we've got, we've got this, this, this wonderful opportunity in the sense that communication precedes travel. We're much more familiar with the with interacting with people who see the world very differently to 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 the way we do. Whereas I think in the past, people the way they saw the world was the way the world was. Yeah, not even just communication. I would think that even experience precedes travel now, because I I can get a very good idea of what it's like to be an American without ever actually going to America. I can get a great sense of what it's like to be a New Yorker just by watching you know, friends from the 90s and suits from the, <laughs> the last 10 years, etc. Whereas, as you're right, I mean, it's, uh, it's no small coincidence that the, uh, the last Great Reformation coincided with the printing press and this dramatic lurch forward from humanity's perspective. I would even almost wonder whether this generational gap is, is slowly narrowing further and further, and we might start to see the emergence of generations sort of not even in your 20 to 25 year gap, but start to get down to 10 and five year increments. Um, if the, if the, uh, the rate of change continues as rapidly as it has been. But yeah, absolutely, definitely that idea of being able to rub shoulders. I think you were quite peculiar, even perhaps as far back as, as just 200 years ago, if maybe not even a little sooner. You were quite peculiar if you'd experienced more than two or three different kinds of culture. Uh, you know, unless you'd been sent off to kill them, <laughs> which which I think was which was one of the ways of being sent off to explore the world and meet interesting people. Yeah, I think I think there's been there's been some big shifts in in the world, and we don't we don't always appreciate um, you know our own our own history. And there's certainly people that I know that are very in touch with their history. They define themselves by their ethnic background. You know, they, you know, whether it is uh, Portuguese or, you know, European or, or um, you know, one of the many different varieties of African that one can be as well. You know, so, so in that sense, there's, there's definitely like a, like a geographic and a historical linking to things. And because the world is so diverse, it makes it such a challenging subject to explore because the minute you try to lend definition to something there's always a specific that can throw your thinking all over the place um one of the one of the thinkers i quite like is a guy called uh, john caputo he kind of proposed there being a sacral era to societies which leads into their modern era or their secular era and then after this we've got what the, the world that we live in today, the shared world of a of a post secular or post modern world. I, I found that quite helpful. So, you know, um, I don't necessarily summarise him fairly. Um, so, so that aside, as I've wrestled with with what he put on the table and what others have put on the table around this, especially with the whole notion of of the world secularising and religion fading away and being less central to society, you know, it's it, uh, it's it's challenging to think about where did it come from. And so, as I've thought about it, I've I've, I've put together this this loose map or a loose framework. And of course, the map is only only 
good in terms of what it explains. It's not good in terms of what it doesn't explain. You know, it's, and, and certainly process mapping is about that, where you try to understand the flow or the development of things. And so, so the way I've looked at it is, is, is pretty much looked at there being a primal, um, a primal and tribal foundation to societies that aren't well-established, right? And, and their people are very much in touch with the earth. The society isn't as sophisticated, experiences much more raw. But as societies develop, um, all religions and all institutions become central. You develop this, this, this huge infrastructure of politics and religion and economics, and they all go hand in hand. And, and, and when we think of the sacral era to religions we, or, or to societies, we think of a society where religion is so much a part of the fabric that is everywhere, and everyone is just religious by default, and, and that there is, is, is a consensus idea about who and what God is and what God means. And it's just assumed that everyone believes all these, all these things and everyone's on the same page. And so, and so when you live in that world, you know, it, it makes sense. So, so everything is just assumed because that's the way it is. You know, you've got your temples, like we've got our roads, <laughs> you know, the way in which we use the internet and it's part of us. There's, there's, there's a, there's, there's a world where religion is so integral to it, but about 500 years or so ago in our society, we had a massive break between religion, politics, and science. And, and although the, the, the relationship between science and religion is, is, is one to, to really give a lot of attention to, we had this massive change over in our society to the modern secular world that we pretty much live in today. But as other cultures around the world have also modernized, so too have they almost gone through the same procession from primal to sacral to being challenged by their, their experience of the modern era and their experience of joining the modern world. With this curious dynamic of there being an emerging postmodern or post-secular worldview and post-secular or postmodern person, you know, that, that, that it's almost like it doesn't matter whether I stay in Australia, the UK, um, China, um, you know, South Africa, uh, the United States, you know, any country, you can take any of the emerging mega cities out there. You will find people, we, we drive the same cars, we use the same phones, we speak the same language, we use the same internet, we read the same books, um, you know, we, it, we, we're educated with the similar foundations, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So much so that there's people that I speak to around the world where I actually have more in common with them culturally than I do with my own local geography. And so I think we, we, we're living in this interesting time where the, the various modern nations around the world are enabling a postmodern culture to emerge. And, and I think, I think the, the track that we're on and the, the subject that we're exploring, or at least the way in which we're exploring the, the question of God or the, or the problem of God for, for our era is, is, is the question of, of how does this generation, how does this postmodern, post-secular generation explore it, rather than trying to explore it and answer the questions and issues as someone from an earlier society or an earlier generation would have done that. As, as I track that procession that you're talking through, uh, in some ways, are you referring to the, so the centralization of, you talked about the political, the economic, and the religious which in many ways gave way then to, if I just take a religious framework, you had the centralization of kind of religion slash God, 
as almost synonymous, which then gives gives way to the scientific age in many ways, which in many ways replaces sort of the 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 god um, the god entity on the throne as the center of our lives and and becomes widely worshipped, and that the postmodern era is now. You know, you, you have the you have the relinquishing of God because he feels it, it feels as though he she it is not as reliable as it, as as previously, not something that can be completely trusted and 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 lent on. And we move into the scientific age, and then there are equal and similar questions coming out about that. And so we're moving beyond almost the two of those. Is that in some ways the the process that you're describing um, is a leaving behind of either? I think I like Caputo's usage of the word post. A lot of people think of the post-religious person as being the anti-religious person, but they're not really the same thing as all, at all. So in the sense that, that someone like, like um, Caputo frames it, the, the person who is post-religious in that sense is post in the sense of, of respecting what has come before and post in the sense of, of I'm after what has come before. So, so it's postmodern as in, after modern in the same way that the modern is after sacral and in the same way that the sacral is after primal. And so in that sense, it relies on that foundation of development. It relies on the foundation of the thinking and the changes in the world that has come before that actually enables us. So in that sense, you know, you can't have a globally connected people that's reliant on technology <laughs> without modern technology, <laughs> right? And yet, and yet the advent of modern technology really shook up the world as it was. It, it brought tremendous changes. And so, so with mentioning things like a printing press earlier and the changeover in the world that took place then, we've got the fourth industrial revolution now, and we've got a similar, similar changeover. So in that sense, I think, I think, yes, there is a, there is a similar progression within societies related to you know, just the theory of, of how societies and, and not just the theory, just the history of how they've developed and they've gone from, you know, people without houses <laughs> digging in the sand kind of thing to build a home to to the ways in which we we build homes and then castles and huge structures and that over the years, you know. You know, there's, there is the, there's the idea of God just as there is the idea of, of your political ruler you know, and how they develop in society. And we build this huge machinery around it, you know, and it gets all upended. I think, I think in our context, you know, which is, which is kind of like the, the Western and the post-Western world, it goes back to the Copernican revolution and the massive changeover from the medieval period to the modern period, you know, um, you know, and that's got, it's, it's got peculiarities that are still working out in, in our world. And yet at the same time, our world is so different that it's really hard to look back and understand how that world made sense to people in that era. How would you describe the peculiarities that are still working their way out? I, I'm sort of more quickly with you in terms of the, the disconnect between back then and, and now. Copernican revolution really started off as a revolution in um, you know, astronomy, <laughs> you know, to start off with, and the advent of observational science. And it really upended the previous way of looking at the world, which was rooted in metaphysics. And both religion and politics derived their, their framework from that metaphysical understanding of the world, that there's, there, are given, there are given truths and there's a given hierarchy. 
you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is all so evident if you're in charge of the world and not evident if you are poor and uh, if you're a poor uneducated slave, but you've got your place in the world and, and you don't get to think about it, right? So the world still makes sense at that level, right? Um, but but so, so you've got this thing that happens in the 1500s that actually results in a separation between science, religion, and politics. But, you know, it took quite a while for the Re French Revolution to take place and for us to start overthrowing monarchies. It took about, it took close on 300 years for us to start going, it just doesn't make sense that a single person is God-ordained to rule over society and have all the wealth <laughs> and for us to be subjects for us to be subject to them and in that sense in that sense i think of it as still working out in the sense that we we've got a deep appreciation within our culture of, of the value of individuals and their autonomy and their right to basically live their lives the way they want to and go about that and yet we we were actually not free individuals we are subjects of a sovereign state and it's something that that we don't generally think of because we don't think of ourselves as being subject to anyone why because we're free individuals that's part of our culture and yet the world that we live in our thinking is actually at odds with the reality that we are subjects of sovereign states and the freedoms and the rights that we have is entirely dependent on which nation we live in, <laughs> you know, and, and we're not free to up and travel. We're free based on agreements between them and an agreement between us and the countries that we're in to give us a passport that even enables us to travel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so in that sense, I feel like there's, there's implications that are still working out. And we're likely in a hundred years time to see a very different model of citizenship in play or a very different model of employment in play to what we have today. You know, and and in that in that same sense, there's there's these things that are actually in process, and I think religion is similar to that, where where we are also shifting from these givens to the institutions that we have today, and and yet what's emerging today is the notion of the of the individual and their responsibility, their experience, their choice, their practice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it wasn't always like that, you know, in the in the same way that you were conscripted into the military, <laughs> you know, if you're a Roman citizen you were conscripted in the military and you only became a citizen on the basis of having served, right? Um, that that was just the way the world worked. But but um, these days, you won't meet someone under 40 that was conscripted, at least in, in our environments, into the military because it's just not part of their world. It's not part of how they've experienced the world and so it's not part of their worldview. Whereas if you meet someone in their 60s, their identity as a as a man, for instance, is very tied up with their, their military service and their their prowess in that sense. Okay, thanks. That's helpful. I follow you. Yeah, I think I think it's quite tricky because there's there's any number of trajectories that people could follow, and I, you know, yeah, on this <laughs> on this we're really just following one track, and that is the track of of religion, spirituality, and mysticism and how it ties together, yeah, and how it ties to these previous ages and what comes next. Well, on, on that, I thought that might be helpful then to, to perhaps move to narrow our focus a little and look a little bit more specifically into that. How would you, how would you describe or define what, what do you see in terms of that framework is coming next? Oh, that's a, that's a challenging question. <laughs> Should we take a step back and go, what, what do you see as sort of the, the current reality that is giving birth 
to that comes next. Um, as you've mentioned, the the kind of the the atheistic versus the the other sort of major religions of our, our day, institutional religions. Part part of what I'm wrestling through, and I'm very much still working with this. So these are these ideas that are in process. But for now, um, as I as I think of it, and I, as I wrestle with it, we come from the religions that we have today are still very much rooted in their sacral ages, right? So they look back to the classical era when they were at their peak and and they were at the height within their civilizations. And, and there, you didn't have a separation between um, politics and religion. It was all bundled together. You didn't have a separation between the public and the private life of the individual because it was all bundled together. And so in that sense, your your, your views were everyone's views, they, they weren't just your own views. Whereas in our society, people get to work out what it is that they believe at one right. But but the curious thing in our environment is we, we're living in a world that is that is predominantly secular at its center, you know? And then at the periphery, we've got all these religions that still speak and whose identity is still rooted in their sacral age as though they are all that one true religion. And still in the center of our of our life and practice and universe. Yes, and 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 as part of that, the the assumption from those religions is that to to agree with them is to be a part of their structural life, you know. And so and so as I as we think of it and we wrestle with it, you know, the monarchies around the world, um, there's very few monarchies that still run countries. Um, as I as I understand it, whereas whereas if you take a look at um, at some specific monarchies, they they end up being part of the heritage of a country or part of their marketing or part of their flavouring, but they don't actually run the countries, right? Um, there's there's been a separation. There, there was an agreed separation that they will step down from running a country and that they'll kind of be supported as as royalty within that country, <laughs> you know, or or, or not, um, depending on, on on where you are. And so so in that sense, religion ended up ended up the same. So where religion was was integral to running a society, we now have a society that runs on its own without that. But the religions as we have them today, and and this is something I'm wrestling with and wrestling through in the sense that the religions that we have today, their identity is still rooted in what they were. They still try to play that same role in society, you know, and that same role in society is is to basically take over and become front and central in your life and expect you to be subject to them, you know. And so, and so if I look at the religions today, you know, they they were left over from a sacral era within a modern secular world, rather than being what they were back then, because they weren't defined. They didn't have to live as 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 institutions in society. They didn't have to live as as state-sponsored denominations or state-sponsored religions and organisations, and they didn't have to make their way in the world as as businesses trying to survive independently of the state, like our religions as businesses do today. Back in those days, it was just part of society. Yeah, so, so, so there's this key shift where they were integral to society, and now they're peripheral. And yet the role that they still want to play is exactly the same. And, and if I think about it, the big changeover 
um, in society, um, as someone called Esther Perel puts it, and, and her thinking is phenomenal. She says the, the big change is a handover of responsibility to the individual, that people today are free and independent, and they're responsible for determining their meaning, their beliefs, their practices, what they do, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in previous society, in the previous era of society, and especially during that sacrilege, you didn't have that. You're born into a station in life. You 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 just you you did what you were supposed to do within that world. You weren't free to choose your own path in life. If you were born the son of a blacksmith, you were going to be a blacksmith. <laughs> if you were born a woman, you were going to be the property of another man. You know, and as much as we we can be upset with that kind of stuff today and think, oh my goodness, that isn't fair, that isn't right. That's just the way the world was, and it very much fit into their notion of what was right. And I think in that in that sense, society played the role of basically determining everything for the individual. You know, you had no freedom, but you had your place, you had your security. And so and so, for instance, you know, I I, I know people as as you do, who who left school, got into their first job, worked that one job their whole life and then retired. And they did what was expected to them. They left on a single salary that person could support a wife and kids, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they've retired. Whereas for the most people, that's not the worlds that they live in. They, you know, and so that person later in life wrestles with the question of meaning and identity in a very different way to which younger people these days are almost starting off with the question of meaning identity and the choices for what they want to do with their life. And, and, and that person, that first that you referenced to, when they then do career guidance, um, give terrible career guidance <laughs> in, in terms of still trying to, to, to fit the world into to the mold of what they thought it was rather than what it is. And I say that by means of, of comparison and to then what I hear you saying about the major religions, uh, almost uh, an inability or an unwillingness to kind of recognize the world for what it is. I picture the queen pitching up in parliament and trying to tell them you know, how to run the country. But it's interesting how you describe that as a, an agreed upon separation. You know, the monarchy steps back and the, the government takes over um, and that it, I, it would seem to me that many of the world's major religions have not acknowledged that or there has not been an intentional process of that happy separation. There hasn't been an amicable divorce. They've actually continued to live as if the spouse is still at home, despite the factors that suggest the otherwise. And those would be, in my mind, the ideas of you know, the, the decline in numbers of membership around the major religions, etc. And probably that's that's then you know the very sort of terrible simplification. That's the the divorce then in religion and science in some ways is there's no amicable split around. Okay, cool. This is actually kind of where we're moving to. There's still a desire to to hold on. And and funnily enough, I, I see some of that behaviour almost in the. How would I describe this? I want to say some of the older scientists, which is unfair. <laughs> but um, the idea of, of, of you know, religion holding objective truth gave way to science that holds objective truth. Um, and much of the global coming together and the different cultures and communities, as you, talk, as you say, processing through those ages and, and growing up to some extent, although that's an unfair phrase. 
that I use advisedly. <laughs> um, and, and joining, and by joining, I mean contributing to the scientific age. Um, there's a move away from a predominantly Western scientific approach uh, to a far more nuanced global one. And so there's all these disconnects and fractures happening. It's interestingly enough that you describe the monarchy and the, the state split. That's, that's quite helpful in that there was, you know, just seemed to be this very frank conversation at some point. Now, this is not going to work anymore. <laughs> so let's, let's have a workable solution moving forward. And, and you know, that, that probably simplifies maybe 50 years worth of, uh, of process. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see whether the major religion will reach that point. Yeah, it's it's also. I, I mean, I, I I do acknowledge that I'm grossly oversimplifying a process where where lots of peasants died and lots of royalty got their heads sure. lopped off. You know, sure, sure. That, that 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 we don't think of the French Revolution as a as a um, as a mature meeting between different parties and you know with with with, with exit packages negotiated. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that, that's a good caveat. <laughs> in in an hour's worth of podcast, we can't dig into the depths of that. But in a very, very, very huge superficial generalization, that idea of we've come face to face with this reality, whether that's you know peasants armed with pitchforks or you know some some slightly more perhaps dignified I don't know <laughs> <End>. <laughs> yes um, and and for me it begs the question and I think that's kind of a, a more elaborative way of saying what I was trying to say earlier in my question if, if these are the parties that are in this uneasy you know sort of almost mid-divorce they're, they're not even recognizing the future yet what what do they give birth to what are the children from this breaking family going to look like in the postmodern identity modern people are the are the children of divorce in the sense that and and, and I, I feel like this is like i see a bit of a pattern you know when you see divorced children having to and they pick the side of a parent yes and and how that ends up being in this this three-way difficult relationship right but when you're dealing with the parents you're dealing with people that are so assured of their right their their one hundred percent rightness that they are the righteous and the affronted party and the other party is wrong and they just cannot hear each other no matter what they say. And then but then if you pick one of their sides, you get embroiled in this con in this argument, this conversation you can't get out of. Whereas whereas the Whereas the next generation can perhaps do that. They don't have to pick the sides. And I, when, I, when, I, when I listen to people that are caught up, for instance, in the science versus religion debate and they take one side or the other, I, I don't see rational people um, making their own way in the world. I see people rehashing the mistakes and the conflicts that go back hundreds of years. <laughs> you know? And I think, I think politically, politically we see the same thing. You, know, you, can't, you almost can't say to someone, we need a better economy coming out of this current pandemic crisis that we're in without being accused of being a socialist or a communist. <laughs> you know, you can't go, hang on a second, if we just pause, if, if we pause capitalism along with putting people in lockdown, businesses wouldn't uh, have gone you under. You know, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it. <laughs> and so before I put my, before I put my foot in it, in it too much when it comes to that, you know, I, I think it's the same kind of thing where, 
where we're used to the world running in a particular way and we can't get ourselves out of it. We, we see the world in only one way. And and of course, this is the way the world is supposed to be. And I think I think one of the one of the recognitions that we that is going on in the world today, and and certainly if you if you read the likes of Richard Kearney and Don Cupid and others, there's the recognition that era is coming to a close when it comes to the issues between science and religion and and the death of religion and the rise of the secular society, et cetera, et cetera. And that almost a the questions are being reframed. So, for instance, if you think back to the to the European Christian, right? You wonderfully Catholic or Protestant because that's the way you were born. <laughs> you had no choice in it. It is what you believe, and uh, you get to ax people who believe differently, and you've got to conquer the world in the name of your version of Christ, right? <laughs> if you think of the person in, in in the world then compared to the person in the world today, you're not. You're not the person who looks at the world and goes, but this is the one true religion, and I was born into it, and and therefore we must run the world according to it. You 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 basically dealing with a person who's 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 woken up and gone, oh, hang on, um, look, there are these curious things called religions at the side of society, right? <laughs> so the question of God there is actually very different. The one is a question of going, I have to prove and establish this is the one true God. And of course, if you were that Buddhist born in Buddhism or the Jew born within Judaism or the Muslim born within the, the Muslim, et cetera, et cetera, what you're looking to do is spread your culture, your politics, and your religion. And it's all bundled together and you can't separate it, right? So, so, so to share your religion with the world is to share your politics. To share your politics is to make them your citizens and expand your borders. You know? And so, so when we look back at a worldview like that, we just we can just be so offended. We can be so annoyed by it because because the way in, when, in which we look at the world is so different. Our point of departure is also different. Our point of departure is going, there's people that believe all these things, but we don't experience them. So they're all equally untrue, as opposed to the person that's rooted in that world going, this is the truth, and I have to somehow disseminate this truth and use it to create order around the world. Um, whereas, whereas I think the person today isn't isn't asking and answering the same questions. You know, the question is different. You know, like 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 people that that wrestle the question of postmodernism or and modern postmodern philosophy. I often hear people talking about the shift from from reason to experience. Whereas whereas when I wrestle with it, I see a shift from an emphasis on reason and education to an emphasis on meaning and relationship. You know, so the person who's caught up within uh, the issues of modernity separates between reason and experience, and then they go, "This is what it, this is what this next generation is doing." To move away from reason is to move to experience, and we can't trust experience. But that's not the issue. The shift is actually from abstracted beliefs to real world relationships. You know, as as the big shift in society, and I think there's a lot of room in that to actually just go picking up from experience and picking up from relationship is the key for people today rather than picking up on going oh it's reason versus experience or these big beliefs versus these experiences i love that that picture that you draw of these three different generations so you know we would then say so grandparent parent and and grandchild grandparent yeah, grandparent parent and child and that the divorce is happening in the grandparent generation um, and the, the, the modern era folk are the children 
they're the they're the, the the parents yeah sorry so let me be clear yes so the grandparents of the divorced the parents of the children of that divorce but this new type of person is it strikes me very much um, uh, as, I, as I think of, of what Richard Raw talks about in terms of Trinitarian thinking, that where you have the grandparents in their divorce, you have polarity, you have this sort of binary case, as you talk about, we, we're stuck with it's religion versus science, and the children who are the parents now in this three-generational tier, are then, in some ways, they feel forced into taking either side and so it perpetuates that cycle of the, the one versus the other, which is where then I hear you talking about that's where you manifest this. Well, if we're moving away from reason, it must be experience. And that exactly sounds like that kind of uh, bad romantic relationship breakdown kind of situation. But that, as Richard Raw talks about, you know, the, the problem with binary is that you get a tug and this tug of war between two opposite poles. And eventually the strain is so much that there's breakage where you introduce a third option. You can't have a tug just in one direction. And the third option is posited in such a way that A and B cannot come and stand side by side to pull against C. But there is, you know, he talks about this dance idea, this, this cyclical turning. And that's, I think that's a beautiful picture as you paint it of this, it's it's bad to describe it as a new generation because that that sounds very sort of you know locating it within age, which is not necessarily true, because the the people across the spectrum that are experiencing this, but this this grandchild is almost going to be that option C, that starts to pull away from just the polarity fight and introduces something. And you there I see you talking about the relationships, um, relationships and meaning. I think are the two terms that you. That you posited and i see that all over the show i think i mean it's all over social media it's all over interactions with people that are sick and tired of the grandparents and the parents fights and this destructive happening etc cetera, etc cetera, to move into okay well you know we've got enough perspectives that we could perhaps see not necessarily better but a little further if i come back to your comments on primal building to sacral building to the modern the modern and circular and then thereafter, yeah. And and so, I mean, if if you take a sort of a spiral dynamics approach to it, it adds to the other, um, and so that you, to look back and to look down on this not necess not necessarily a helpful perspective. But there is just this distance to go. You know, perhaps it is time to move on and move away from these silly arguments. And I think that if I specifically look at religion, um. um not not a fan of science. I love science, but I'm far less versed in it. So I'll rather just take religion on. Um, I think that's part of what was just niggling at me earlier, this idea of it's helpful to look at the reality of a situation. And I know that's a dangerous phrase to use, but but in this this picture that you've drawn as the grandchild to go, is it real any longer to see this generational issue that's been repeated once already in this polarity of the break in relationships and the choosing of sides. This, this is no longer helpful for us, and that's the reality. Um, and I think that's, that's some of my take, and, and as I pick up on yours, I think in terms of the, the major religions, perhaps having to have that, 
that aha moment and go, perhaps we're fighting about all the wrong things and, and there's a need to move on. Uh, is that is that badly summarizing your position or, or, or pointing towards it? I think certainly with the way the, the trend has gone, you know, if you if you think just of the of the European culture and, and Christian Europe, suddenly discovering, you know, actually there's all these other cultures that stand on equal footing to us, right? <laughs> And they also and they also have religious beliefs. Now, now, what do we make of them? And so, so for many years, the 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 idea of how Christians went about justifying their faith within Christendom had to change. And suddenly, the wrestling with the fact that there's these other religions. So, how do you understand them? You know, uh, are, are they? You know, and what do you make of them? And what do you make of truths within them and people's experiences or not? You know, especially in a cultural age where you can't either invade them and eradicate them yeah. <laughs> or, or try and debunk them from your, from your Western and European uh, yeah. worldview. Yeah. And, yes. and, and I mean, let's, let's, let's be um, equally fair or equally offensive to all cultures <laughs> in the yes. sense of going, you, you know, you, you can take a look at, at the Europeans trying to colonize the world and change them to their culture and beliefs but but i mean let's be honest the, the chinese have done that the, the arabs have done oh, that. absolutely romans did that and the christian old testament is also a great example of that and that was just part of the era it was just part of the worldview it was just part of what you did you needed more resources there were people over there they made great slaves you know <laughs> you know um you know uh, whereas today we don't we don't run our worlds that way and so so now we're in the position where which differs to where people were in those days. So if you were born Hindu or Buddhist or Christian within that era, you were born and you believed what you believed, and then you had to justify that, you know, against the, the whatever variant of the heathen was around you. Whereas in these days, we're, we're actually all born as the heathens these days. <laughs> There's, there is that complete, there is that complete inverse that, that even if people are raised within a religion, within a religious framework, within our culture and our context, they don't believe it like like people two, three hundred years ago in any of those other cultures believed it. For for people raised today, we are we are very clearly raised with the notion that we're expected to believe something we don't experience, and this just doesn't make sense. And this is a peculiarity of our worldview. It's a privilege that our worldview has that they didn't then, because no matter how much people believed what they believed within that culture and that context earlier, they didn't necessarily experience the reality either, but they weren't free to acknowledge that. Just being a member of society, you, you believed, and because you believed, you didn't need to experience. You know, it. It wasn't even a part of the worldview that you needed to test this for yourself and experience it for yourself and validate it, you know. Um, whereas in our culture, in our context, it very much is. It is assumed that you will do that, and that's part of this big shift in culture and worldview that we that that we haven't seen because we've grown up within it. We just assume that this is the way it is. Hence, you get some decidedly unhelpful anachronistic readings into. Um kind of the sacred text of different religions as we take our worldview and we import it backwards in time. I think I think very much so, but is there any particular um, anachronistic reading <laughs> that, that, that you're thinking of or that springs to mind for you? Oh, I'm, sp- I'm specifically thinking of a, of a text uh, from the Christian uh, Bible that uh, often comes to mind when I talk to people about baptism and the uh, the 
the idea of, if I remember correctly, it's Cornelius. It comes out of the book of Acts in the New Testament in the Christian Bible. And it's Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, um, and his entire household is baptized into the Christian faith. Um, and I have heard it being used uh, from a couple of different points of view, one being to support the idea of adult believers baptism and that uh, he, um, so, you know, he, he makes a conscious choice having now experienced the, uh, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, then it's just completely ignored that he, that the rest of his household is also just lumped in with that. <laughs> um, but then that's also used to, to justify the infant baptism side, because oh, surely there would have been children in the household that were baptized, and so that's also fine. Um, but that's that's a modern worldview of going, you know, the, the slaves in the household would have had a choice, which is rubbish. Cornelius just made the call as the head of the household, and every single person became a Christian, whether they experienced or believed or not. <laughs> um. <laughs> You're right to, 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 in that sense, you include the slaves as well, because the slaves were part of the household. They were part of what was under that person's management, and they followed his decisions, yeah. And I think, I think that's a prime example of how um, something from one worldview that, that, that we have preserved in text, in, in a religious text, is taken by another person in a much later worldview, and they just read it through the lens that they're in, you know, because... Because, as you say, you get some some denominations where they practice infant baptism, and they use that text to justify that. And then you've got others that vehemently stand against it, like like you will not believe. They will like you know that um, they fight about it and they're not polite about it. <laughs> and yet, for them, the notion is it is only the adult believer who fully understands the commitment and the process and can write their neat little theology exam and has said the right magical prayers that is allowed to then, and then be what? Uh, then, then it varies again. Do we sprinkle them? Do we dunk them fully? Do we? <laughs> yes, yes. Do we almost drown them? Do we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean it's yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole of just the the, the big B. Uh, definitely, um, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but but the one comment I will make, though, which I do find fascinating, which suddenly eluded me because I wanted to dive off down the rabbit hole, is that I often find that there is a blind spot in the worldview taking place, and I would you know I would I would uh, put that to myself as well. I think with the numerous blind spots that that we all well, hopefully at some point we'll be privileged enough to face as, as, we, as we grow through life. But often the blind spot I find, and again, I'm speaking more specifically from a Christian perspective because that's the bulk of my experience, is that many of those same denominations, uh, the people within them will say they are trying to use a historical cultural lens and so they are attempting to read the text in the way it was written, you know, the original author's intent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and even there, it seems to evade us that we're not always aware that we are just projecting our own worldview. Yeah. And sometimes I think we have to bump our heads quite hard um, <clears throat> up against somebody else's worldview to realize, sure, I am continuing this kind of privileging of my own worldview over others and importing it uh, where it's not uh, not always helpful yeah i think i think you touched on something that's 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 very important there i feel like when i when i when i speak to people that are deeply committed to religions and i, I speak 
friends with a lot of Christians that are very committed to church and Christianity and, and stuff. I, I feel like there's a lot that doesn't translate between like my culture, my, which comes out of my experience and my lived experience in the world, right? And, and theirs in, in the sense that, that, that in tech, what is so important to their culture isn't important to mine. And so there's a lot that just doesn't tr translate. And I think I think it's it's a lot easier to try and impose your culture on someone than to to play on the ambassadorial ter terrain and ground between your culture and someone else's. You know that it's 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 a lot easier to to want to get someone to agree with the way you look at the world and to believe as you believe than it is necessarily to to start with a position of going, let me understand what it is that you're saying and see where this translates. Um, you know, and I, I, I see it I see it quite often, especially when people are upset with all the failings of religion. Like, I mean, there's, there's no doubts. Like, like you, you will never hear me um, justify religions on the basis of their failures, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. They've, they've all pretty much blown their witness if you, if you look at them. They're all complicit in, in politics and, and, and wars and, and a whole bunch of stuff that just goes like, oh my goodness, like we should just be, we should just be done with them in that sense, you know? Um, but, but when you've got the freedom to basically go, I don't have to be caught up in the science versus religion debate, or I don't have to be caught up in, in looking at a particular era of history and go, oh my goodness, Christianity is so bad because of the Crusades or something like that. You know, the, the minute you can let that go and go, I have my inner life and then there's the reality, the transcendent and the who and what I can engage, it, it balances that out in the sense of going, you can allow people to be products of their culture and their age and you know, they're dead and gone. We don't have to keep rehashing the, the issues, <laughs> right? <laughs> in that sense, it, it allows us the freedom to go, let's allow our own questions to emerge and our own experiences to emerge and make that sense to our lives rather than making our understanding of history or, or to try to template from a text or a historical period as though we can somehow legislate that for our lives today. You know, um, and, and I think people that are rooted in religious worldviews often attempt to do that. They want to legislate these things. I think two things immediately come to mind as you speak of that. Um, the first is uh, the idea of fear that we picked up on, I think, in our, in our last episode. And the second suddenly completely eludes me. So I'll start with the first. But just, just that idea, you know, the legislation is, is in some ways trying to, to construct a, a space of strength uh, and sometimes it just feels as though it's just a wall that's being built against the darkness in the hope that if it's a high enough, big enough, deep enough, wide enough wall, the darkness will effectively disappear from our own psyches. Um, and that's, I, I can't see that as being realistic um, at all. Um, and I come across it without wanting to, to, to move too much into the anecdotal, but a lot just in the individual experience of, myself with another person who is deeply religious and I cannot shake the the idea that there are some some serious fear undertones with the idea of is it possible to just be open for a while to somebody else's view to somebody else's thoughts well I, I've often found that 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 people are religious they, they can't be open it's it's almost like the idea of being open 
is is opening you to somehow be tainted or polluted. So so you have to eradicate. You know, I, I I've had I've had religious people come into my home and be tremendously upset about the diversity of religious texts and occult texts that I have on my bookshelf. <laughs> you know, um, why? Because because to to have a copy of the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita and Henry Cornelius Agrippa von Nedersheim's three books or four books of occult philosophy, like that must make you a, a, a you know, you, you can't be in my camp because my camp doesn't have these books. And if you have those books, you must be in the other camp. Uh, which is whichever camp they put you in as then being the enemy. And so it, it again comes back to that thing of of within a certain worldview, you can't be open-minded. You, you can't even allow the question to enter. You can't allow yourself to understand another person as they understand themselves. You can only understand them through the filter of of what your culture tells you and what your belief system tells you. you know? And that's that, it's difficult to get past that. It is. It is. Um, I think, especially if you, uh, if I just ever so briefly stick on my uh, neurological cap, <laughs> is their, their thinking is so trapped outside of of their executive function that to to engage logically and rationally, uh, they've retreated out of that space completely. And I think that's that's where I pick up that idea that you can see the nostrils start to dilate. Those kind of micro expressions. The eyes widen, the nostrils dilate, and it's not necessarily anger. I think often it's very much the flight reflex of just get me the hell out of here. I can't handle this. The uh, the second thing which came back to me was, um, I, I suppose I'm just checking this with you, because when you talk about being able to free ourselves from you know much of, of kind of what has happened in the past, um, which is so probably a terrible simpl- simplification of what you said, but... What I I don't hear you saying, and so correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's no naivety in that kind of statement. It's not a happy-go-lucky, the past has no bearing on us, we just forget everything that comes before that. What I hear you saying is actually a a far more mature statement, um, that the distance is not to to disown so much as, as not to be trapped. So again, if I bring it back, what I hear you saying is within that generational sort of picture is as the grandchild to go, I can see, you know, grandpa and grandma had a messy divorce and I know mom and dad, well, the mom, whatever, mom and aunties and uncles or dad and aunties and uncles were severely screwed up by this. And so I can own that. There's no naivety about taking a step away, but for there to be forward progression, it's not to continually be caged by that. Absolutely. I think I think that's exactly what I'm referring to. But but also from the position of the grandchild of being able to look back and go, I can I can love and value both. I can understand that they can't reconcile. But I can allow um in this context, I can allow the question of the transcendent uh, or the question of God. Um to to emerge on its own terms for me in the same sense that I'm I can be the grandchild of parents that were divorced <laughs> and I can go I still want to get married you know the fact that they that they had a divorce doesn't mean that I can't marry the two together you know and it doesn't mean that in the future they can't be healthily married together in a way that that enables both to be 
healthy, full individuals in themselves and collectively something more together than they are, you know, apart and divided against each other. You know, um, and and I think that's that's the hope of the emerging postmodern and post-secular world as I see it, you know, is that is that is that we we can allow that to return in a different way. You know, and so so for instance, my 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 my, my I'm like the grandchild within my family's generations, within that that framework, as you've put it. My parents were were of the generation that you didn't talk about religion, sex, or politics. You know, um, you know, and so and so you you didn't, and they didn't, and they never processed this kind of stuff. You know, and um, and we didn't grow up within a culture of my certainly my early experience when I when I still lived with my parents as a young child. Um, there, there was none of that and no modeling of that. It was simply these are off the table, you know, like you don't even go near them. You know, whereas whereas these days, um, you know, it's very much, it's an open, all of these are open conversations in my household. <laughs> you know, so with my children, they are open conversations. And although my, my, my kids are young at 10 and 12, religion, sex and politics are, topics that we can talk about and and that they are therefore unable to talk about and they'll get a head start on that in life compared to my parents you know in that sense that that whatever had happened in the previous generation um they 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 couldn't have these conversations and so there's these three massive areas in their lives that were just off limits and i I can just imagine what a truncated um experience I, I can just imagine the ways in which that truncated the experience of life you know um and how it's uh, it, it amputated these things that they very much caught up in so so it puts them in the position where they can't process these things because because they have to pick sides and they don't want to pick sides so they don't go near something so they just swept up with what happens in society rather than they end up being free contributors carving their own way in these topics and in that sense um in that sense being responsible in terms of their politics or responsible in terms of their sexuality and relationships or responsible in terms of their religion and their spirituality and their mysticism i'm really struck by that uh, by that picture um both as a, just a great analogy or metaphor and uh, and how it can be practically tied into experience. Um, that's awesome, sure. Well, Steve, thanks. This is probably a good place for us to call the conversation, yeah. And um, we've got a bit of a game plan as to conversations that we're going to be having in future. And, uh, you know, as always, absolutely wonderful to explore this with you. Cool. Thanks, Tim. As always, thanks for the invite. I'm enjoying this. Well, to the listeners, thank you very much for spending your time with us today. And uh, we'll catch you next week for another episode.